while we um, begin our study, let me ask you a question. Is there anything too hard for God? Now, now don't answer it too quickly. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything that is impossible for God? Is there anything that he cannot do? Are there no limits to his ability, to his activity, and to his power? Now, quickly we have a tendency to say, amen. That's right. I believe it. But belief and application or practicality, implementing those beliefs into our day-to-day lives can often be challenging, can it? Come on. There's been a circumstance, a situation, there's been something in your life that you have been faced with. It's a financial, maybe a physical, maybe a relational, maybe something in your life that, that you have been invited by God. It's, it's a part of his activity. Maybe not an activity that you would prefer, but it is something that, that God is actively working in, in and through your life, and based upon that activity. You have questioned, you have doubted, you have wondered, you have thought, God, is this too hard for you? God, the load, the burden, the weight of what I'm carrying, what you're asking of me, the activity that you're inviting me to join you in, it is, it is of such magnitude that I cannot do it without you. And I am wondering, as I wait on you to do through me what only you can do, I'm wondering, are you capable of pulling this off. Can you make this a reality? Is this an impossibility with you? Let me read you a couple of passages of Scripture, and I'm just not going to talk about the context. I'm just going to let them sort of, as I read them, sort of sit there on their own. They don't need any explanation. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah 32.17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32.27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? God asks. Matthew 19.26, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And today in our text in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38, we see in verse 37, God says to young Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Don't forget that last little phrase at the end. Nothing's impossible with God. For with God, nothing is impossible. The impossibilities become possible. And young Mary is going to learn that reality. And we're going to quickly go to the text in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And we're going to see through Mary's example as God ministers to her and sends a messenger to her these important aspects about God's activity and how God's activity moves me beyond where I am to where he wants me to be. And as he does that, it's going to require certain things from us. 
For God to make the impossible possible, there are certain things that he's going to have to move us from here to there. And he certainly must do that in order for him to do it in us and through us. In other words, there's going to have to be movement on our part. We're going to have to move from maybe doubt, maybe disbelief, maybe questioning, maybe uncertainty, maybe insecurity, and yes, even fear, and move into the realm of faith. And as he moves us, there are seven things that I want us to look at that Mary had to move in order for God to make the impossible possible. Number one, God's activity moves beyond my comfort. God's activity moves beyond my comfort. Now, one of the greatest things about Emmanuel Baptist Church are these incredible seats that you're sitting in. Aren't they comfortable? They are great for napping. During the music. You're welcome, Pastor Mark. Wherever you are. Where are you? There you are. Comfort. Who of us doesn't like comfort? And what God is going to do in the life of young Mary is he's going to take her outside of her comfort zone. Notice in verse 26, in the sixth month. Notice the moment in which this text begins to describe the moment is critical. It's the sixth month. We studied last week how Elizabeth was to have a child with Zechariah. They were older in years, well beyond childbearing. We're going to see her mentioned again at the end of our text. And now Elizabeth is with child, and she is in the sixth month of being with child. In other words, she's starting to have the baby bump. You know what I'm talking about, ladies? Yes, not being able to conceal it any longer. And people are getting to realize Elizabeth is pregnant. And I can imagine after church that morning when somebody first recognized that uh, Elizabeth was probably pregnant, the gossip chains began to go. Can you? Did you see Elizabeth today? She's pregnant. Wow. She's old. What are her and Zachariah thinking? What's up with them? Have they lost their minds? That's the moment. Elizabeth is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. So there's the timing of that from what we studied last week. Elizabeth is pregnant, the sixth month of that pregnancy. This is the moment when the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. The Galilee is a northern Palestine area. It's where Jesus had most of his ministry activity. It's a place that he had his headquarters. It's a place that he called home. He was called Jesus of Nazareth, and this is the region. But notice the messenger Gabriel. Gabriel is mentioned by name four times in the Bible, twice in Daniel, studied that today in life group and then twice in the gospel of Luke chapter 1. He's always sent by God as a messenger from a message to someone whom God wants to speak to and he is the one that delivers the message. He is an incredible messenger. He is more than a messenger. He's an angel. And as we saw, this is a physical presence. This is not some image. It's not some ghost. This is a physical messenger. This is the angel Gabriel. We really don't know a whole lot about Gabriel. There's a lot of people who have written a lot of speculative things about him. But the reality is all we know is that he's a messenger. He must be an incredibly powerful angel. He has incredible opportunities that God uses him in various different ways. But Gabriel is the messenger that God sends. And then notice then the mission that Gabriel brings. He says to her, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Notice he has a mission. He's coming to a young lady, and she's a virgin. Now, there is some speculation in 
talking about the fact that she is a virgin, meaning that she is very young, and she is, in fact, very, very, very young, more than likely somewhere close to the age of 14. That's very young. Can I get any men to that? 14. That's young. Couldn't have been much older than that. We don't know exactly her age, but most young women during that time, around 13, 14, 15, became betrothed and got married. And so we see that she is, in fact, a young lady. She is a virgin, meaning that she has never been intimate with a man. She is pure. She has never engaged in intimacy with someone of the opposite sex. She is also defined and described as betrothed, meaning that there has been a legal, public declaration and an invitation and a ceremony in which her and Joseph has stood before family and friends in the community. This is something that happens in public. It is a public declaration. It is Joseph's intent to marry her and her intent to marry him. It usually lasts about one year. Now, get this. Joseph has already paid in advance the dowry that is due to the dad. So he's gotten the installment that he needs in order to give Mary, his daughter, to Joseph. So there's been a payment. There's a legal binding contract. And the only way to break the contract is through a divorce. They have not been together intimately. They have not slept together. Mary is still sleeping with mom and dad in her home, in her bed, where she grew up as a little girl. They will not consummate the relationship until after, a year later, the marriage ceremony. And so she described as betrothed to a man named Joseph. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph. He sort of appears and then disappears, and there's a lot of speculation about that, but I don't think it's mostly biblical. It's by just basically what we think, but we do know he's of the household of David, and that's going to be important in just a minute. Now, what I want to bring out is this. Mary, at the age of 14, 15, maybe 16 at the most, has dreamt her whole life of this moment. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I never spent any time dreaming about my marriage or my marriage ceremony, about what I was going to wear and what it was going to look like. Any man do that here? Did you think about that much? Matter of fact, I ran from weddings. I didn't attend them. Uh, Patty and I celebrated our, our 39th wedding anniversary yesterday. 39 years. Had a young lady behind the counter uh, yesterday said, how did you guys survive that long? I said, Grace. She needed a lot of grace to live with me. Right, babe? She's silent, as usual. She's the best pastor's wife. She never gossips, never talks about me. She's awesome. Keeps things to herself. But living with me is not easy. And a lot of grace. But we went through uh, that book, you know, that people sign and a lot of things that were recorded uh, last night. And we looked at all the people that came and reminisced over that. And, And, you know... Come on, ladies, you dream about your wedding day? You do. Most of you do. And if you don't, you're not going to admit it, are you? And so Mary has dreamt of this time. She is betrothed. Money has been exchanged. Been a public announcement. Joseph is working on their home. He's working to get married. They have a year of engagement. They're going to be married. She's got it planned out. She's got the ceremony. She's got the food. She's got the dress. She's got the matrons of honor, the, the groomsman, the groom, and what he's going to wear, and the flowers. You know all of that stuff? Those stuff, that, that stuff that most of us guys have no clue about and are not interested in. All we're interested in is seeing the bride coming down the aisle. 
and going, ooh, la, la, that's, that's my woman. I'm going to marry her. And that's great. That's about all we care about. But there's all these details, and she's planning all these details, and she has reached a comfort level in her life where she is expecting that her life is pretty much going to go this way. She's going to marry Joseph. She's going to have two and a half kids. They're going to drive a minivan, and they're going to live in a three-bedroom house with two bathrooms. And, you know, and she's planning all that out. And now God is invading her life and changing her plan. This is not easy for her. She's got it all planned out. Plan your work and work your plan. And she's beginning to work on the details. And now what God is going to invite her to do is beyond anything that she is comfortable doing because she knows that there's no way on God's green earth that she's ever going to be able to fulfill what God is asking her to do in her natural self. But she has human limitations that are going to come into play in regard to what God is going to ask her to do. But she's comfortable. And isn't it true that sometimes we are guilty and we become comfortable with where we are in Christ and with what we're doing for Christ and what Christ is doing in our lives and we sort of reach that comfort level where we get secure and, you know, and things are we know what's going to happen. We know what's happened in the past, and we pretty much know what's going to happen today, and we know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, I've been here nine and a half years, going on ten. Uh, those of you who are not comfortable with me have already left. Those of you who are are comfortable now. But we get comfortable, don't we? Until God shows up. And he speaks into our lives. And he changes everything. And his activity in Mary's life is going to revolutionize her life. It's going to change her plans. And that's what God will do in your life. He will change your plan. And we must adjust our plan to God's plan and go with God's plan if we're going to go with God. We must move from where we are to where he wants us to be. God's activity moves beyond my comfort. Secondly, it moves beyond my comprehension. Notice in the text, it says, and he came to her. Notice the appearance of the angel. He came to her. Now, I don't know about you, but this would freak me out. Wouldn't it you? We don't know where Mary is, but we know she's alone. And there she is alone, maybe sewing her wedding dress, maybe making arrangements, maybe at the kitchen sink. We don't know if she's gone on a walk in the woods. We don't know where she is, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this angel appears, and this must have been frightening to her. It would freak me out, wouldn't it, you? I was like, did I have a bad burrito for lunch, or did I have some bad coffee? What's up? I am, man, you know, pinch yourself. It's freaking her out. And all of a sudden, this angel appears unannounced, uninvited, and just out of nowhere, boom, he's there in her presence. They are side by side. And then, to top it all off, he speaks. And he says, greetings. That's an interesting announcement. Greetings. It means well-being. You know, Hey, great day, greetings. And then he says, oh, favored one. That is a common saying in the Old Testament. And Mary, who has grown up in church all of her life, knows that more than likely when this angel used this, he was using an Old Testament phrase that was signaling to her that you have been chosen by God for a special purpose. 
Because this phrase is always used by those whom God has chosen for a specific purpose, especially those prophets, those who God is going to use to, to bring transformation into the community and into the nation. And then he says, the Lord is with you. He's saying, Mary, God is with you, not just in the past, not just in the present, but he's going to be with you in the future. He's assuring her that God is going to be with her in what he is about to assign for her. You know, what an incredible awareness to be able to hear from God and to know that God has been with me in my past. Because we've all faced opportunities of impossibilities and we wondered if God was there. And he's always been there. It's great to know that he's presently with us. That no matter what we face in the present, he is with us. And it's also great to know that whatever God has planned for the future, that he's already there before we get there. And because we have his presence, we have all the provision, all the power that is necessary. And then notice the astonishment of Mary. And she was greatly troubled. Not just troubled, but greatly troubled. I mean, it's one thing to be troubled. It's one thing to be preoccupied. But it's another thing to be completely troubled. The antennas went up and she was troubled. It is, a, it is an extraordinary emotion that she is feeling. It is more than just a, a, a small panic. It is, it is a great trouble. She is troubled in her spirit and her gut begins to move and her heart begins to ache and her mind begins to wonder because it says she was troubled at his saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Notice that she tried to discern. That implies deep thought on her level. Deep thought. She was pondering for a moment what did he just say, and what does that mean? Why me? Why here? Why now? Why this greeting? And there's a lot of confusion going on. And she's astonished by what is going on. I don't know how long the angel left her in that state, but he does. But she's discerning in her spirit, and she's troubled, trying to get understanding, trying to comprehend what God is doing. I'm convinced that her mind could have never wrapped around the totality of what God wanted to do through her. Now, I know there are some um, so-called Christian religions who have a tendency to make Mary divine and superhuman and beyond what you and I are, but she was a young lady just like many of the young ladies that are here. She's a person of the flesh. She's, she's flesh and blood like us, and she's just a common, simple, ordinary, but very special young lady. She's not supernaturally born. She is just like us. And she tries to discern what God is up to. God is going to move in her life, and I believe God is going to move in your life in a way that you will not be able to comprehend it. God is greater than any of the boundaries that we have in here. I don't care how intelligent you think you are, you have human limitations with this. And there are a lot of people that think they're smart enough to figure God out. But when God begins to invade our lives and invites us to join him in what he is doing, it's going to blow your mind beyond anything that you could have ever comprehended 
that God would do. Number three, not only is God activity moving beyond my comfort and my comprehension, but number three, my, cap- my capacity or my capability. Notice in the text, and the angel then says to her, do not be afraid. Gabriel recognizes, I'm not sure how, as Mary is there pondering, and, and, and maybe for Mary, uh, these moments seem like hours. You know what I'm talking about? When you're in this, this tight squeeze, and you're in a very awkward situation, and there's this silence that goes on, moments for, for you seem like hours, and, and Mary is, is there, and we're not sure how long there was a delay in the time in which finally this, this angel, this, this Gabriel speaks into her life, and then there's this moment, and she's trying trying to figure it all out, trying to comprehend what God is doing. And then he says, do not be afraid. Well, of course she's afraid. She's in the presence of, of an angelic being. Who knows what he looks like? Did he have large wings like we often imagine? Did he have a, a halo? Did he glow? Was he nine feet tall? Was he, how, what was, what were his dimensions? What did he look like physically? We know he was an angel, so he was spectacular looking. I mean, he was beautiful in appearance and he was majestic because he had just come from the Shekinah glory of God, the throne of God with a message from God to this little Mary. And so there was something about him like Moses who had been with God and his face glowed that he had to cover it, and, and he's shining. I don't know, but, and, and all of a sudden he says, don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear. And when God invades our lives and invites us to join him, we often see faith replaced by fear. And he says, don't be afraid. And then notice, Mary, you have found favor with God. Not only does he recognize her apprehension, but he repeats the assurance that he had previously made. I mean, he repeats himself. You know, and I, I thought about this long and hard. Are you like me? Does God often have to repeat himself? Come on. I don't get it the first time. Do you? And sometimes even when I get it the first time, God has to come back and remind me a third time, a fourth time, a hundred time. Can I get a witness? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Come on. Everybody's hand should be raised. Come on, hypocrites. Raise your hand, admit that we have a problem with that. It's called, you listen to this? An empty head. Yeah, things bounce around in there. That's why you heard the echo. And he repeats the assurance, saying to her, Mary, you have found grace with God. Grace always trumps fear. I can imagine that Mary must have thought, I'm, this angel is standing here and he's got a message from God and he's greeted me from the Lord and, and have I done something I shouldn't have done? Am I about to be chastised? Is there going to be some sort of discipline? Is there going to be some sort of consequence? Have I misrepresented him? Have I failed him in some way? And she begins to wonder, why is he there? He must be sent for something bad, but the reality is, it's something good. And so he reassures her, verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He reveals the assignment you're going to conceive, you're going to become pregnant, and you are going to give birth to a boy. You're going to have a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The word Jesus means Jehovah saves, or Jehovah is salvation. She's going to bring into the world the promised Messiah. I'm not sure how much she comprehended of the message from the messenger of the Lord at this particular moment. Let's don't give her too much credit, but let's don't rob her of her intelligence because I've known many women much smarter than some men. 
Can I get any man, ladies? Okay? There's intuition, there's perception, there's understanding. She may be humble, but I think she's smart. I think she's biblically intellectual. I think she's been with the Lord. She's walked with the Lord. She's found favor with the Lord. She has a relationship with the Lord. And, 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 and the angel is speaking. And so she probably, I think, understands that what God is asking is beyond her pay grade. She has a human limitation that, that is being brought into what God is, is wanting to do in and through her life that is impossible to overcome. She doesn't have what is necessary. She doesn't have what is capable to perform what God is inviting her to do, to give birth to the Messiah and all the ramifications of what that means. And I'm convinced, like Mary, when God invites us to join him in the activity that he wants to do in and through us, it's beyond our pay grade. And we, we must always understand that, that there is a capacity within us that is limited without God. No matter how minuscule or how unimportant or how small we may define what God is asking us to do, the reality is that we can do nothing. We can do nothing without Him because nothing is impossible with God. And there are no nothings with God because nothing is impossible. So there are no nothings when God invites you to join His activity and what He wants you. You can do nothing without Him. You are not capable. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the strength, the intellect. You don't have the skill. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the history. You don't have nothing to bring to the equation or to the table that enables you to do what God is inviting you to do independently and apart from Him. Number four, God's activity moves beyond my comfort, my comprehension, my capability, but also my calculation. Mary, I'm sure, dreaming about Joseph and their betrothal period and soon to upcoming marriage must have thought we're going to have some kids and like any parent when we dream about the children we're going to have the reality is let me just a side note we never imagined parenting was everything like we thought it was right parents it's a nightmare sometimes isn't it come on moms i mean we have a couple of hundred people in another place watching your children while you're in here but parenting sometimes is, is crazy. You never calculated before you had these little critters what it was going to bring into your life, did you? Some of it is chaos and it's messy and it's wild and it brings headaches and it pushes you to your maximum, doesn't it? But on the other flip side, it's amazing, it's wonderful, it's spectacular, and you dream of all these cool things that your kids are going to be and what they're going to become and what they're going to do. And I can imagine, because Mary has not had any children, she doesn't know that this little baby, this little toddler, is going to have bad moments. 95% of the time they're cool, but 5%, they're like, what? You're like your father. I can see that. But Anyway, so <laughs> she dreamt of this of, 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 of the amazing things that they were going to do and what they were going to be. And I'm convinced she thought, I'm going to have a son because every woman in that era wanted to have a son for her husband to pass down the genealogy and the heritage and the name. She never calculated that her child would be this kind of child. What kind of child would he be? Verse 32, he will be great. 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. The angel defines and describes his characteristics. He is remarkable. If you remember, we talked about John the Baptist. The angel came to Zechariah and said that John the Baptist, his son, would be great. But here he also says that Jesus is going to be great. But here, Jesus is going to be greater than John the Baptist. Greater than John the Baptist. For it is John the Baptist who said that he must increase and I must decrease. He understood his role and responsibility. And Jesus would be even greater. He would be more remarkable. But Jesus would also be more renowned. Because notice he will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be known as divine. For this Jesus to be born will be called, he will be renowned, he will be known as the divine Son of God. That's his characteristic. But notice now his claim, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Yes, he's going to claim his inheritance. And notice who gives him this inheritance. Notice, look at it. Who gives him the inheritance? God does. Man is going to deny him his inheritance as the Son of God and the rightful claim to his throne. He is a direct descendant of David because Mary and Joseph both are descendants of David. And because of that, he has a divine claim on his throne. But notice now his command, verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. That word reign means he will rule. It means that he is a sovereign Lord of lords and King of kings. He will be in command. He will be in charge. He will not only sit on the throne, but he will reign as supreme and as sovereign Lord. But then notice in the last part of verse 33, forever of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice his conquest will be complete. He will will conquer everyone and he will reign forever. It will have no end. This has prophetic as well as, I think, current application into what is about to happen in the life of Jesus. And I can imagine as Mary heard this report from the angel of what, was, what her son was going to be like, she just had to sit back and go, wow. This is not some mother imagining how great her child would be without any facts or any proof or any word from the Lord, this comes directly from Gabriel, a messenger sent by God, telling her in God's words, this is who your son is going to be. And she could have never calculated that she would be the one that would bear a son that would do that. And I'm convinced that when God invades our lives and invites us to join what he wants to do through us, you could have never imagined what God's going to do through you. Try to calculate it. Try to speculate. But I'm convinced that what God wants to do through you and through us is far greater than we could ever calculate, than we could ever imagine, than greater than we could ever dream. If we were to sit down and say, what do we want God to do here? And we write it on a board, and we might think those are lofty things. God sort of looks at those and says, hey, hey buddy, let me, let me take the chalk, and let me write on that chalkboard what I want to do. And he begins to write out what he wants to do. And I'm convinced they would be much greater, much grander, and much glorious, much more glorious than what we would ever have imagined, dreamt, or thought about doing. Number five. God's activity moves beyond my comfort, my, compassion, my comprehension, my capacity, my calculation, my control. This is why I think Mary is a little bit human beyond her control. Mary doesn't really seek control, but she kind of wants to help. 
She wants to help. What woman doesn't want to help? It's like when someone's cooking something in the kitchen and other women are around, it's the women who usually pitch in and they want to help. We men sit around and watch football and take a nap while they're helping each other in the kitchen. And I think there's a part of her and a side of her being human she wants to help notice. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Notice her search. How is this going to be possible? I look at my, my abilities and my skills and my experience, and I have human limitations. I can bring nothing to the table. I want to help, but I, I, I can't help you because I know that when you're inviting me to do and what you want to do through me is, is, is beyond anything that I can do. And the angel answered her, Notice, God will supply your need. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I find that interesting that the Holy Spirit will supply the power. The Holy Spirit will be the who will accomplish what needs to be accomplished in your life, Mary, not you. You have nothing to do with it. God has everything to do with it. And it is God in you who's going to make this a reality. All-encompassing presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit is, the, is, is found in him and the power that he supplies is sufficient to make whatever he invites us to do as we join him to make it reality and then notice what takes place is very supernatural therefore the child be born will be called holy the son of god and he definitely was a perfect lamb to be offered upon the altar of calvary we could camp out on just those couple of words right there, but we don't have time. We need to move on. But I wonder how often when we hear God inviting us to join him and what he wants to do, and we say, okay, God, I got this. Scoot over. I'm going to take the driver's seat, and I'm going to do it now. I know where you want me to go. I know what you want me to do, and, and I can do it. I'm in the control. And usually what happens when we do that? Isn't it disaster? And I can't tell you after 39 years, almost 40 years of being in ministry, people come in and sit in my office and they blame God for the outcome when God shouldn't be blamed for the outcome because they're the ones that sat in the driver's seat, did exactly what they thought God wanted them to do and how God wanted to do it and placed God in no place in the decision factor. And in the end result, it was disastrous. And now the consequences are being reaped by having made that decision. We need to turn the controls over to him and let him come to the table and tell us exactly how, when, where, and what, and then follow his instructions. Number six, God's activity moves beyond my circumstance. Again and again, we see this. We saw this last week, but in a little bit different way. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and has, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Circle that word if you want to, the word with. It, means it is a preposition of source. And what it says is that God is Elizabeth's source and God will be your source. He'll be your supply. It's kind of a side note because verse 67 says nothing will be impossible with God. Did you know that word nothing there is a double negative? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible with God. 
No matter what our minds tell us, no matter what our hearts tell us, no matter what our eyes tell us by what we see, we often see the, the, the impossibilities, we see the hurdles, we see the obstacles, we see the barriers, we see the enemy, we see everything in our path of the fulfillment of what God has said he will do, and yet we see here that God says nothing is impossible with God. God is the object. He is the source. God is bigger. But notice in this text, he's saying to Mary, you are not the center of the universe, Mary. Because it's not all about you. You see, there's a lady over here. You know Elizabeth. She's your relative. We're not really told how they're related. I mean, you can search Scripture. It's not in there. And there's a lot of speculation how they're related. But it's not in Scripture. I've searched. (laughs) But they're related somehow. And this relative, Elizabeth, who's old, Barren, well beyond child years. I have worked in her life, and she is going to have a son. And I think it's a gentle reminder. Mary, I know as you're feeling the weight and the burden of what I am laying on you, I don't want you to see that it's all about you and the weight that I'm laying on you and the burden that you're going to have to bear and the son you're going to have to to raise. But I want you to understand that what I'm going to do is bigger than you. And we often have a tendency to focus our eyes in the mirror and look at us and think of the world and the universe revolves around us. And we're we're not the center of the universe. I mean, Owen, our nearly two-year-old in Canada, we were on FaceTime with him. You know, my youngest son, Patty, and I, our oldest son, Aaron, and his wife, Samantha, have a soon-to-be two-year-old, Owen Taylor Boswell. And two-year-olds think that the sun rises and the sun falls for them. And dad was sitting in a room because mom needed to do some work, entertaining his two-year-old son, soon-to-be two-year-old son, And he was at his son's beck and call. And when his son doesn't do what dad wants to do, and dad says, no, 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 we're not going to do that, what does he do? Pitches a fit. And it's interesting. What's great is revenge is the greatest thing. Your kids having kids, that's the greatest revenge that God could ever give, right? Amen, parents? To watching them having to parent and having them to tell their son no, And then watching their children throw a fit. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's not all about Emmanuel. God has something bigger in mind than just us. While we may be a part of the blessing and a part of the equation and a part of what God wants to do, we need to focus the attention off of ourselves and say, Lord, how are you going to use me in this activity to be a blessing to others? Did you hear what I said? A blessing to others because it's not all about me. And then lastly, God's activity moves beyond comfort, comprehension, capability or capacity, calculation, control, circumstances, and my commitment. Interesting, and Mary says, Mary said, she speaks to the angel finally after this encounter sort of comes to an end. Behold! It's almost like she's walking down the aisle and presenting herself to God in an invitation time. I mean, just as I am has been sung by the angelic choir and the angel, the messenger, has spoken the word of the Lord and saying, this is what God wants to do in your life. Make the adjustment. And she steps out of her seat and walks down the aisle and commits her life to the Lord. And she say, behold, I am standing before God. I am the servant of the Lord. 
Now, the word I am is not in the original text. It's sort of added for our benefit. But the servant of the Lord, I am a slave, a bondservant of the Lord. I die to myself and put you on the throne of my life, dictate and determine every aspect of my life. I will serve you, my Lord. He is now sovereign over her life. He's always been and he continues to be. Isn't it interesting sometimes when God invades our lives and asks us to join him in his activity, we stand at a crossroads of life in a conflict where faith meets fear. And just because we may have been there hundreds of times before, there's a decision that needs to be made. Am I going to trust him this one time, one more time? One more time. And Mary at that crossroads says, Lord, I'm going to adjust my life to your life and I'm going to do your will. Notice she says, let it be. Who sang that song years ago? Some of you older guys. The Beatles. And that rings in my head like yesterday. Let it be. Lord, let it be. She recognizes that even though she's stepping forward and committing her life to the Lord, even in that commitment, she, I think, is saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, we, we saw that not long ago in, in Mark chapter uh, 17, I believe, where a father was bringing his son to Jesus, and he believed that Jesus could heal his son. And Jesus asked for faith, and he honestly admitted, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think maybe that Mary was sort of asking God to do that. God, I'm committing my life to you. I believe you can do this, but give me more faith. Increase my faith. Increase my belief. Luke 17, verse 5 and 6. The disciples were at a critical time in their life, and they asked Jesus, increase our faith. There are times and there are moments in our lives where we believe in Jesus, but we must honestly, like Mary, say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Increase my faith. Let it be to me according to your word. I know what your word says. And so, Lord, increase my faith in your word and put my faith and trust in you and believe that you will. And it's interesting, and the angel departed from her. He, he had accomplished his mission, and he left. So what does all this mean to us today? I believe no matter who you are, where you are in life, God wants to use you. He wants to use you. But before he can use you, you must come to a personal relationship with Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And you may be looking at your life in a, some sort of a skewed mirror or maybe a real mirror and seeing all the flaws and all the sins and all the depravity and all the lostness and all the hurt and all the bad choices that you've made and wonder, how can God use me? God can use you by first transforming your life through faith in Jesus. He can make old things new. He can breathe life into your deadness, and he can forgive you for sin. There are no lost causes with God. And he can take your life as you yield it to him and give you a new life, a new heart, a new mind, a new purpose, and a new future. And I wonder if you're too busy seeing the impossibilities of your own salvation and not recognizing the possibility of God through faith in Jesus, transforming your life. And maybe today, that's your decision.
Lord, make me a servant as I submit to the leadership of your son, Jesus Christ, being the Lord of my life as I confess my sin and repent of my sin before you. Maybe you've already privately done that, but you've never publicly made your decision to follow Jesus. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing. We call it an invitation hymn. And to my right, to your left, there's a place for next steps. And we invite you to follow Jesus in the next step, publicly declaring your faith in him through the act of baptism. Out of obedience, we follow his example, and we declare our faith through baptism. Baptism does not save. It's simply a declaration of my intent to follow Jesus and symbolic of what God has already done in my life. He has made the impossible now possible through his shed blood. As a Christ follower, how does God want to use you? Take your eyes off of yourself and off of the impossibilities that you see. You're flawed. I get it. So am I. You're weak. I get that. So am I. You don't have the ability to do what God is asking you to do. I get it. So do I. And yet when we yield ourselves like Mary did, there are no limitations to how God will take that yielding and use it for spectacular things. What does God want to do through you? Will you step out of your comfort zone? Hear and listen to the still fall, small voice of the Lord as the Spirit communicates into your life during this time of invitation. And will you, like Mary, surrender your life by saying, Lord, here I am. Behold, I am your servant. Use me as you will. Yeah.